Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Porterfield, and thank you so much for tuning in. I know you have a lot of options when it comes to marketing podcasts, and the fact that you choose to listen in means the world to me. So thanks again for being here. Now, you know I do listener spotlights now, right? I think it's extra fun because I get to see your reviews and I have a podcast group in case you didn't know, it's called the online marketing made easy podcast community. You can find us on Facebook and a lot of you leave great comments in there as well. So I love to give shout outs. This one is for Gary K who left me a kind review on iTunes. Gary said, Amy always gives wonderful value. I have been listening for a few months and I'm glad I found this podcast. Podcast. Her podcast is not only informative, but entertaining, which I'm very surprised to hear that, Gary, because I'm not one to be super funny or entertaining. I feel like I'm all business. So that was kind of refreshing. Maybe I'm a little bit more entertaining than I thought. Or maybe I'm just getting a big head. Okay, back to what Gary said. I have already seen positive results by taking action on her suggestions and best practices. So Gary, thank you so much. I'm glad you found my podcast and I'm really happy to hear that you're taking action. So keep up the good work. I'd love to share your review here on the show. So head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to my podcast, leave a review, and I might just give you a shout out on my next podcast. Okay, so today we are finishing up. We are in the home stretch of our creating compelling content mini-series. So we started out this mini-series with episode 235, where I talked about understanding who you are creating content for, so your ideal customer avatar, and how to know what type of content will be compelling to them. And then in episode 236, we had Donald Miller share his seven-part framework to create powerful messaging to bring your ideal customer into a customer journey. Oh my goodness. Remember I said this last week, don't tell Hobie, but I have a serious work crush on Donald Miller. Like I love that guy. He's so brilliant. So that was a really fun episode. Now today we've got master storyteller herself, Melissa Casera, and she's going to teach us about creating binge worthy content. Now, like Donald, Melissa is a huge fan of using storytelling to create compelling content. Now, on Melissa's website, she tells her visitors that she'll teach them how to create content and offers that send their fans into a complete and total frenzy. I mean, that's pretty good, right? And I know that she delivers on that promise, and that's why I brought her on the show today. So she's going to cover some storytelling techniques, and we're going to get into details and tons of examples. Don't worry about taking notes because Melissa created the binge-worthy content worksheet. You can get it at amyporterfield.com forward slash two. Three seven. So amyporterfield.com forward slash 237. You can grab after you listen to the episode, the binge worthy content worksheet where we literally outline exactly what Melissa is going to go over here, but you need to hear all the examples and all the little insights she adds for each of her techniques. So you know how to apply it. So listen first and then grab the freebie. Okay. I won't make you wait any longer. Let's get to it. Hey there, Melissa. Thanks so much for coming back to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back. Oh my gosh. I am excited that you're here because the last time you were here, we talked all about the about page and there are still instances where I'll be out and about and I'll be meeting people in my community and they'll say, oh my gosh, I loved the episode all about how to put together an about page. And so you're definitely a hit with my community and I knew you would be a hit coming back on. Now, I love how excited you got when you heard that you were going to be a part of a, a mini series that we're doing. So tell my listeners why you were so excited and also tell them a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I love a good mini series. <laughs> <laughs> I am obsessed. And I am, for anyone that doesn't know me, I'm both a publicity strategist and a professional screenwriter. So like anytime anyone is combining TV and movies with marketing, I am like here for it. So I was 
just jumping up and down <laughs> to be a part of this episode <laughs> because this is my favorite thing to talk about. So just a really short, brief little bit about me. I, um, as I mentioned, I am a publicity strategist. I started my career in publicity and marketing about 16 years ago now, which feels wow. like crazy. Um, I started in the pharmaceutical industry and then I like ran away screaming. <laughs> and I ended up starting my own business after that, which was 12 years ago at this point. Still like, wow, can't believe it. Right. Um, it was around when we were like faxing press releases. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's really insane to see how everything has shifted. But interestingly, I funded my business early on by working as a commercial actress in New York City and like nothing sexy, but I used to be on like the cover of like nursing magazines, like talking about <laughs> uterine fibroids, like nothing like at all sexy. But I had, you know, I worked in the entertainment industry, as I said, funding my business, but I also had several clients in the entertainment industry. And so I became obsessed with how like movies and TV shows could create obsessed fan bases. So eventually I swirled all of that experience and obsession to teach business owners how to create obsessed fan bases for their own work using the power of storytelling. Um, and then it wasn't until about four years ago um, that in addition to helping business owners tell their stories, I started getting interested in telling my own stories, but more fictional. So I moved my entire family to LA, which is me, my husband, and three dogs. <laughs> and, um, and we I started pursuing screenwriting. And so I have two films now that air on Lifetime Network. If you're in the US, you have that, or you're familiar with it. If you are not in the US, then it does air in international markets. I just don't know the networks. Okay, um, say the and, names of them, because we've got okay. some fans here that are going to know. <laughs> <laughs> My first film was Girl Followed, and my second film is called Her Stolen Past. So both of them so good. I've heard you talk about them. I when I saw one, I was like felt like I was the most coolest girl ever because I knew who was behind it. And when to see your name on the screen, that's got to feel so good. Really, I have to say, there's kind of nothing like it. <laughs> right? I bet I can't even imagine. So cool. It's pretty cool when like 4 million people watch your movie on premiere night and then it's like your name is on screen. Oh. And I just, it, it is really cool, I have to say. And then people are like tweeting about it. Oh man, <laughs> I, I would die over that kind of stuff. So it's cool. Fun. Uh, and I also have a TV series in development and I have three additional films in development as well. So things are busy, Amy, but that is just a little <laughs> brief story about me. <laughs> well, you have such a cool background and you do really cool things that are different definitely than the world I live in. So it's always fun to talk to you. And today you're going to teach us five storytelling techniques to create, I love this title, binge-worthy content. And you're going to begin with using basic plots of movies and TVs. So this is extra special. We've never done anything like this before on the podcast. I'm intrigued. Tell us all about it. Okay. Well, first, I just want to have a disclaimer that there are so many plots and types of stories you can do. But because this podcast is like not a six-hour miniseries, <laughs> I am only going to share three types because these three types are actually the best stories you can tell to get your audience to buy from you. And I know that's most important <laughs> for your audience yes. because they're business owners. So the first type of um, story that you can tell is a redemption story. So People love hearing stories about beating the odds and getting redemption and achieving success despite obstacles. So think about like the movie Groundhog Day or any of the superhero movies. Honestly, if redemption isn't the main theme of the movie or TV show, it's always woven into a specific character arc or it's a secondary theme. So redemption is quite, quite popular. And it's great as a business owner to tell redemption stories because it delivers a huge adrenaline shot of inspiration to your audience, to your potential buyers. So Amy, you had a great redemption story in um, your mega batch episode, which was episode 182. And you started that episode with a comparison to Groundhog Day. <laughs> so, yes. Um, people instantly connect to that movie because it's the story of a cursed man who is gaining redemption, right? So again, perfect redemption story. And 
audiences love redemption arcs. So by setting it up that the listeners are going to see your story of redemption in that podcast episode was really exciting. And it also made for that perfect episode trailer so that we knew what was coming. So when you set the tone in that episode, then we were like, ooh, and we couldn't wait to keep listening. So that's why that was a really popular episode for you. And another example was the episode you did with Brooke Castillo. Oh, one of um, my favorites. And I know that was a fan favorite as well. And again, all coming back to the storytelling. This is why these episodes are so popular. Brooke had an amazing story, and it was a mini story that she told. But it was about when she put her book out into the world and there were like typos and grammatical errors in it. And she yes. felt a ton of shame because like the evil grammar police like came <laughs> out after her. Um, and side note, like side note for grammar police, I will tell everyone right now that there are Academy Award winning screenplays <laughs> out there that have typos. So like if you can win an Academy Award with typos, like I think we're all good. Okay. I so, love but- that you put that out there. <laughs> So back to Brooke, then she got a heartfelt letter about how she changed a woman's life. And that was because that woman chose to focus on her message and not like a misplaced comma, right? Right. So Brooke was able to triumph by saying that she produced this B minus work, but it still changed lives. So again, Brooke had this amazing redemption story and that episode was wildly popular. So what I want everyone to know listening now is that um, as you're thinking of your own redemption stories in your business and your the arc of your entrepreneurial journey, it doesn't have to be something huge and dramatic. Like, don't feel bad if you don't have this crazy story of like, I lived in a war-torn country and I had to survive before like, you know, getting myself out and then being able to create my dream. Like, if you have that story, I mean, great. Right. <laughs> like, share it. Epic. Um, but if you don't, and you know, many, many, many of us don't have that story, don't worry about it. There are smaller moments of redemption, smaller adversities in your everyday life and and in your business, right? That you go through. I mean, even just like getting lost on the way to a business meeting and and deciding to embrace that feeling of being lost versus freaking out, like that is an amazing story, right? It's a very small moment that happened in one day, but it's a great thing that people can connect to and you can tell them like how you went from this totally like freaked out panic attack in your car to, you know, how you overcame that, right? How you redeemed yourself in that moment, stuck in traffic, in the car, being lost, and then how you, you know, rocked that meeting or whatever happened in the end. Or maybe you didn't rock the meeting and that was a let, that's the lesson you want to impart, right? Okay. So so I love that you bring up, it doesn't have to be this most amazing triumphant situation to really resonate with your audience. Totally. (laughs) Totally. Um, And if you're worried about revealing kind of obstacles, mistakes, or failures, which I get that a lot from my audience. I just want you to think about any television show or movie. Your favorite characters are the ones who are not in total control all the time. Mm. You only root for people when they make mistakes, right? Yes. Because they have something to redeem. So always think back to that. Like you're rooting for the people that are making mistakes. You're rooting for the people that need redemption. Okay. So good. So the second type of story that you can tell is the walk away story. So think about like Beyonce left Destiny's Child to pursue a solo career. I mean, we all see how that went. (laughs) Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, um, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, like she decided to leave everything behind and go on this like worldwide quest for self-discovery. So these are wildly popular stories, right? (laughs) Right? Beyonce is a huge global phenomenon. Eat, Pray, Love huge global phenomenon, both in book and movie form. So these are the stories that people want. And in life and in business, there are so many moments where we need to courageously walk away from something. So it could be like that you've walked away from a career that wasn't meaningful anymore. You've walked away from a relationship or a business partnership or whatever that is, right? I I know that 
everyone in this audience has at least a few moments in your life where you have walked away. And I know you, Amy, you've talked about in several podcast episodes, and I think elsewhere, even in webinars, et cetera, how you used to work for Tony Robbins and you walked away. Mm -hmm. Now that's an inspiring story to tell and keep telling because there are a lot of Tony Robbins fans out there and people probably view that as like being able to work with him or being be in his orbit as like the dream job. So the fact that you walked away in pursuit of your own dreams is really powerful and inspiring, right? Yeah. Uh, I did the same thing. I told a six-part mini mini series <laughs> on, on in my newsletter last year, and I had to break it up because, like, my business journey is expansive. Right? I've been doing this for a, a really long time, um, and I called it the scandalous truth. And I talked about how I walked away from that lucrative career in pharmaceuticals, lucrative but crazy, and how you know that career seemed really fancy on the surface, and like I had this paycheck and bonuses to match, but I was really depressed working in this very shady industry. So I told the story about walking away. So think about your own walk away stories. And then finally, the third story that you could tell is the you are not alone story. So really quick before I dig into that, um, let me just tell everybody how a screenwriter's job works. Okay. So hired to write a script we are contracted to produce a draft, right? A draft that everybody looks at and reads. Producers, network, studio, director, everybody. That can be like 20-some people. And they're all giving you feedback and critique. And what you need to do is figure out how to incorporate all of their critique and their notes so that the project gets made while maintaining the integrity of the story you want to tell. Okay, so that's why it's really crazy to be a screenwriter. <laughs> because yes. Trying to make everybody happy, essentially. Now, one of the most common notes that, that I get and that every screenwriter gets, every professional writer gets, is that something in that script is not believable. You have to find a way to make that believable, right? And so even though we're writing fiction, we have to find something real that our audience is going to connect to. So if if anyone has watched The Sopranos, which most people have, um, there's this moment in the first season where there's, you know, the star of The Sopranos is this violent mobster named Tony Soprano. But he has this attachment to the ducks that are swimming in his <laughs> pool at home. Right. And he was so sweet and nurturing with them. Right. And then when the ducks went away, he experienced depression and he actually had an anxiety attack when they left. Right. And so the reason that they put that in there, the reason they told that story in The Sopranos, like that was part of the plot, is because it was a way to get us to relate to Tony. We can't relate to him like murdering people and cheating on his wife, right? right? But we can relate to the tenderness that he felt in those moments with the ducks. So the point is here that you want to tell stories that relate to your audience. Oftentimes as business owners, our audiences can put us on a pedestal or kind of believe that our life looks like the way that we shared on Instagram, right? Yes. Like this perfectly curated life. And they might be like, oh, she's just successful because she has this and that. Oh, Amy's just successful because she's been doing it all these years, right? So it's important for us to share the moments that, you know, we felt exactly like our audience does and give them that reassurance because the reassurance can be so healing and people are so grateful when we are brave enough to stand up and say, hey, I felt that way too, or this happened to me. So you did this in your episode 213, which was 10 things I'm embarrassed to tell you. Mm -hmm. um, that was the perfect example of this. So if you haven't listened to that episode of Amy's, it's amazing. She basically told 10 mini you are not alone stories in this one episode. And really, I think each one probably could have been its own episode. So they're just really powerful and it allows your audience to deeply connect with you. Ah, oh, these are so good. Okay. So redemption, walk away story, you are not alone. Did I get the three? Got it. Oh, awesome. I love the examples you're giving. I mean, of course, I love them because you're referencing some of my podcast episodes, but even some of the other examples, it really just brings this to life. So thank you so much for doing your homework and making it so tangible for all of us. I absolutely love that. Okay. Yeah. 
So as we keep going, now that we know what kind of stories, so we've we've got three ideas of the kind of stories we can create. And I think all my listeners can think of one or two stories related to your examples. So now that we know what kind of story we should be telling, what's next? The next thing you need to figure out is how to begin your story. So in screenwriting, we refer to this as the inciting incident. So the inciting incident is how you're going to hook your audience and keep them reading, listening, or watching. So an example is on, we're referring back to your mega batching episode and the inciting incident that you used in that episode to hook us into the main action of that podcast was using the Groundhog Day comparison, right? Which everyone can relate to. And then you described how that felt when you were doing your podcast without batching and how you were doing these one-off episodes and you felt really stressed and it was just feeling like a total chore, right? So that's how you kicked that off. And you hooked us into the main action of the episode because now we were with you. And again, you were relating, you were telling people you are not alone, (laughs) all of these feelings, right? You're like, ah, I was stressed and overwhelmed. And so we're, we're with you, right? And we're connected to you. And now we're being hooked because now we're like, okay, so we see Amy's problem. We're with her. She's down in the dumps because she's not batching. And now we want to go on the journey with her, right? So the key here is to figure out how you're going to start your story, your episode, your blog, your video, whatever piece of content you're putting out. And the key is don't start from the beginning of the story. So here's what I mean by that. We all have a friend that calls us up on the phone and says, oh my gosh, the craziest thing happened to me. And then you say back to your friend, oh my God, tell me. And then they continue to rattle on for like 15, 20 minutes about how they went to Target and Target was so crowded and they couldn't find parking and then they forgot their eco-friendly bags in the car. And then like 20 minutes later, they finally get to the story, which is that they ran into an old friend you knew from high school. (laughs) But by the time they get to the story, your eyes have totally glazed over or like you've totally checked out and you're scrolling Instagram rather than like actually listening to your friend. But if you would have just skipped to the good part, right, and told the story about how you ran into the old friend, then it would have been so much more exciting. So the point here is skip the boring backstory and the extraneous details, and you want to jump into the action. So let's imagine if your mega batching episode had a different beginning. Let's say that instead of starting it the way you did, you decided to start the episode by saying, I woke up this morning and I had to record a podcast episode, but like Scout really needed a walk and then Hobie wanted to have coffee together and then Chloe needed me for a meeting. And like, I secretly didn't really like the topic we were doing for the podcast. And I, you know what? I really need a pedicure, but I guess I really need to record this podcast, right? Okay. So maybe all those details were true. Maybe Scout needed a walk. Maybe Hobie wanted coffee and maybe Chloe was like bothering you for something, (laughs) right? (laughs) Shout out to Chloe. And maybe that was true, but those are extraneous details we do not need, right? We don't need to know that stuff. Yes. So the point here is that when you're figuring out how to begin your article, your podcast, your video, whatever the piece of content is, it's okay to put extraneous things in your rough draft. So when you're doing an outline or you're doing a rough draft, like it's okay that extraneous details are there, but make sure to edit them out. Always remember to skip to the good part. (laughs) That is the thing you want to take away from here. When you're beginning your story, please skip to the good part. Ah, this is so good because some people just feel like they need to tell you it all, especially with social media and all the videos now, and you just get everything and you lose people so quickly. That's right. (laughs) Okay. So this is a a very good reminder for all of us. Skip to the good stuff. Okay. So now that we've got our reader hooked with the good stuff, tell us the third storytelling technique. Okay. 
So now you need to figure out what is going to be the conflict in your story. So without conflict, content falls flat. And suddenly your audience will be paying attention to anything else because there's no conflict. So let's again use your mega batching episode as an example here, because there were tons of conflict baked into that episode. You had so much, so many twists and turns there. You talked about um, the why of mega batching. So you were saying like, here's why I wanted to incorporate mega batching, which really could have been, I think if anyone else had handled it, it could have been boring, right? Because it would have just been like, here's my why. Why reason number one? And just kind of like blanketly stating what your why is. But instead, you made it exciting because you added these twists and turns. You were like, I was stifled creatively and I was missing out on like big popular guests because I couldn't get my stuff together (laughs) so that I could schedule them far in advance. So there were all of these like twists and turns that we were following following through as you were telling us your story. Now, what you could have done is just jumped into like, here are the five ways that I have a successful mega batch, right? But again, that wouldn't have been exciting. Like if you just jumped in and said, hey, everybody, this episode is about mega batching and here are my five tips for mega batching. And fortunately, you didn't do that. But how much content do we see out there that's like that, right? Like the 10 ways to do this or the five ways to do that. I'm not against those type of like tip-based articles or tip-based podcasts. They work, but they only work if you bake story and bake conflict into it. So you, the way that you did your mega batch episode is you showed us the conflict before you shared the tips on how you made it work. So we cared about those tips because we knew what the conflict was first, right? Okay. This makes sense. Yes. Okay. So, and then you also made it interesting as like a little side tip because you also included like some fun extra storytelling elements. Like you had Gina in there, which was, you were like, you know, Gina helped you with this, putting together this mega batching. And um, Gina was like every best friend in a romantic comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then you had this other, this other funny element, which was you were talking about um, how you were figuring out how many episodes you could batch at a time. And your friend, Johnny Lee Dumas, who shout out to Johnny, he, I guess he batches a hundred episodes at a I mean, time, which is crazy. I don't know what the heck. Yeah. So all I could picture is like, you know, this like perfect podcaster, Johnny, <laughs> right? Is like, not necessarily as the villain, but he's the guy in the movie that like you can't stack up to, right? right? And you're just frantically trying. So all I could imagine is you like trying to batch a hundred episodes, like locked in this like dark room, unshowered. And it was like, it made this really fun visual component. It made conflict, right? Even though Johnny's not the bad guy in this story, it's that you could see the comparison there in that you had like this benchmark of, well, Johnny does a hundred. So let's see how many I can do. And then, you know, you could almost envision what you must have went through like trying and testing out to see how many you could get done. So it created kind of this this fun like internal struggle for you. So as as the audience, you know, is trying to figure out here how to bake content into your stories, what I want you to think about is two things. One is when you're telling a story, remember what the most important internal struggle was in that story, right? So when that happened to you or when you went through that, what were you struggling with most? Remember, it doesn't have to be huge or like world altering here. It can be something very small. Like you freaked out in the car because you were lost. Like that's okay to tell something like that. It doesn't have to be world shifting. And then another fun way that you can use conflict is by using the rule of three, So this is something that I use in screenwriting. I have to use it actually for every single thriller that I write for Lifetime. Because in every Lifetime thriller, it's formulaic in the sense that we have a main character who's always trying to like figure out who the bad guy or bad girl is, right? 
Yeah. So usually it's someone that that they're in jeopardy because of. So it's someone that's trying to kill them or somebody that's trying to take someone away from them, their child, their partner, whatever, um, or someone that's trying to like usurp their throne in some way. So in order to make it interesting, you can't have your main character just like suddenly have one clue and then like everything is resolved because then movie would be over about 30 minutes in (laughs) and then it's done, right? So instead you have to use the rule of three, um, which is essentially that they have to make two unsuccessful attempts to do something, and then the third one is actually successful. So when you're telling your own stories, think about that. Think about what were the two things I did unsuccessfully before I got to the third successful thing. So a quick example, let's use that car situation. I'm lost on the way to a meeting. The first thing that, that I did was I screamed and I laid on my horn. <laughs> That's clearly very unsuccessful, right? Yes. The second thing that I did is I I called someone, I called my husband, let's say, and I freaked out and made made a big deal and kind of put it all on him and then stressed him out. <laughs> so then now not only am I stressed, but he's he's equally stressed, right? And then the third thing that I did was I finally pulled over. I did this 10-minute meditation that I know always calms me down. And I just sat with my thoughts, let myself feel that stress. And then I let it, you know, I parted with that stress and I let it dissipate. And then it went away, right? So that's like bad example. But example of how you can have like those three things in a story where it was those two unsuccessful attempts that I had. And then finally, the third one was good, right? So you can follow, anyone can follow that rule of three with your own stories. So that way, the story is exciting. You're raising the stakes throughout because you tried something, didn't work. You tried something, didn't work. And now you try the third thing and it's successful. So we're rooting for you throughout the whole story. I love that. I think it adds a little intrigue and it keeps people interested the whole way through. And we've been talking a lot about this on the show about the importance of being vulnerable and sharing the mistakes and being honest with your audience. And so this is a perfect way to do that because you can talk about that conflict that you've been facing. So I love that you bring this up. Yay. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Okay, so now that we've got them interested and there's some intrigue there and we're talking about the conflicts, what's next? Okay, so now we need to conclude the story, right? Yes. and. Everyone listening knows there is nothing worse than a disappointing finale, (laughs) right? Right. I mean, we see it all the time when like our favorite shows end, how people go on social media and like rip it apart. (laughs) They're like, I hated that ending. (laughs) It was so unsatisfying. Yes. So we want to avoid that grim fate (laughs) here with your own stories. Um, So there are two ways that you can conclude your story. So the first way is to have a resolved ending, right? So this is essentially where everything is tied up neatly in a bow and there's a happily ever after here. Now, this works out well for business content because particularly when you're trying to like sell something like a course or a workshop where you're educating people how to do something because people do want to see that you figured out whatever this is, right? So for example, if you were doing a a story that led into your webinar course, we would want to see some kind of happy ending there that you figured out whatever this was. Maybe it was a tech glitch that you had to overcome in your first webinar. Because if you ended that story and said, well, I never figured it out, but like, here's, you know, here's hoping, (laughs) then nobody's really going to be excited to buy your webinar course, (laughs) right? Because they're going to be like, well, Amy just said she never figured it out. So it's good to have some kind of happily ever after, particularly when you're using a piece of content to lead into something that you're selling, because you know we want to see that you have actually figured it out. Also, I think it's important to resolve an ending in a redemption story because we want to see the redemption. So if you're telling a redemption story, it kind of is like womp womp at the end if like you haven't actually felt 
redeemed, right? Um, unless you're doing something where you're telling it in like three parts or six parts and there's like a teaser for the next part, that's okay. But if this is a closed loop story, like an episode of Law and Order, then we need to see the redemption in the end, right? Law and Order always ends with like they find out who did it. It would be really unsatisfying if you yes. ended that episode and we didn't know. But there's, you know, there can be shows like the Arct stories, like True Detective on HBO, where like it's okay that we don't have it figured out in one episode because we know we have five more to go. So when you're telling a redemption story, I think it's really important to close the loop at the end and tie it up. And also any content that's really leading you into some type of sale. But you can also go with an unresolved ending for other types of stories. So we we touched on this a bit earlier, how it was like not every story has to be wrapped in a perfect bow. Like it doesn't have to have this sweeping thing like, oh, at the end, then I ended up, you know, making seven figures. Like it doesn't have to be that. So let's say that you're telling a walk away story, right? Like you walked away from something, you walked away from your career, you walked away from a relationship, whatever it is. There's a huge amount of courage that's baked into that story, but it's really only the beginning. You don't have to tie that in a neat bow, right? You can say that you walked away from something, but you can end it unresolved, right? Like you can end it with who knows where the journey will take me? You could end it with, you know, something that's like, I, I tried this and I'm still feeling a little sticky about it, but I know I'm on the right path and let's just see where it goes, right? So it's kind of a to be continued. It's fine to leave it unresolved. Also, you are not alone stories work well with unresolved endings, right? So I personally write a ton about my pursuit of screenwriting in my newsletter and on my blog. There's no end game here. Screenwriting is a career that's entirely out of your control because you have no control if your project's going to be made or not in the end, unless you're the one that's fully funding it. It includes tons of rejection and failure. And like sometimes that's all I've got to share. <laughs> sometimes there isn't a happy neat bow, right? Sometimes it's that I pitched the script to a hundred different producers, network studios, and they all said no. There's still a story there, right? There's still value in that story and that I went through that rejection. I got through that rejection, however I handled it. But it's still open-ended. There's no happy resolve there, right? It's still floating out there. So I can still conclude my story with a lesson or, or how I dealt with all that rejection, right? right. Um, but there's no definitive ending there. Yet, it's still compelling. And I know it's compelling because people always tell me how much they love when I talk about my screenwriting journey because they get to follow along with me and they're excited for my next quote-unquote episode. <laughs> so before we kind of wrap up the how to conclude your story piece of this podcast, I just want to briefly mention that one question I get a lot from my audience about telling stories is that they're not sure whether a story is appropriate for their audience or not. Like they're like, something happened to me and I want to talk about it, but how do I know if it's going to be good for my business audience? Yes. So I personally say that if there's a lesson in that story somewhere that you think will help your ideal clients and customers, tell it. Ooh, this I is good because this comes up a lot. Should I tell a story where maybe it doesn't have the happiest ending? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. As long as there's a lesson in there somewhere for your audience, right? Right. So, so it doesn't have to be tied up in a neat bow, but like you need to figure out like how does that relate to your audience? You can pretty much relate anything, I think, to your audience with a little skill, right? <laughs> right? You can pretty much relate anything. But if let's say here's an example. Let's say you went to brunch with your friends and you had like a really bad experience at that brunch, right? Yeah. Terrible experience. Now, if you were to come to me and say, oh, I just went to brunch, Melissa, and I had the worst experience and I want to talk about it to my audience. I want to tell them how like I was really annoyed and unsatisfied. Well, I would still come back and ask you like, well, what's the lesson there for your audience? Because if you just want to vent about a bad brunch experience, take it to Yelp. 
like take it to the review site, right? Or take it to the manager. The venting is not going to be helpful. But if you came to me and said, I had a really bad experience, you've still vented your experience, but you said, you know what? I learned that you never want to treat your customers that way and how I want to make sure that I'm going to personalize the experience. Or if somebody complains to me, this is how I'm going to handle it moving forward. Like if you took a lesson from that, then I'd say absolutely tell your audience that. That is helpful, right? Your ideal clients would love that because they're always seeking ways that they can please their audience, right? They're always seeking ways that they can get more intimate and deeper and like make their audience happier with their service, their product, their business, right? So there's value there. Or if it's like an open-ended thing where you're like, you know what, I'm really pissed off. And frankly, I don't really know how to handle this because I'm a business owner and I know that one bad review can kind of tank your business, right? If you're small, you're a small restaurant or something like that. So I feel bad venting. Well, I still think there's a lesson there that's worthy sharing, right? You have this internal conflict and dialogue going on that's like, I'm not quite sure how I want to handle this because I want to leave a Yelp review, yet I know and I'm aware as a business owner that sometimes one bad review can really hurt someone. So I had to think about that and I'm still unsure what I'm going to do, but the conflict of like where I'm marinating, where I'm thinking about like, how do I proceed with this? I can empathize with another business owner as a business owner, but still I want to share my experience. I think that's a a worthy story to share, right? Because there's conflict there. It's an open end, but your audience can learn something from that because I guarantee a lot of them are feeling the same way. I guarantee a lot of people in your audience think twice about complaining about service because they're a business owner too. And they're like, well, how would I feel if someone left me a one-star review, right? Yeah. So hopefully that <laughs> that is helpful for everybody. I know there's a bit of a fine line there, but I always say, like, think about what is the lesson there? What's going on? Is there something, some wisdom you can impart to your audience that would be helpful for them in this situation? I think it's a great question. What is the lesson there? And if, you, if there is something there, then you should share it for sure. So, okay, to wrap it up though, what is our final binge-worthy storytelling technique? I know you've got one more. It's like I need a drum roll maybe, but what's next? (laughs) So that is actually what the next tip is, is what is next? Oh, I love it. So, (laughs) So when you're finished a piece of content, the mistake that people make is they're just like closing the loop and it's done. They think about each piece of content singularly, right? It's like, okay, I wrote this blog, I recorded this podcast episode, I made this video, whatever it is. And they're just like, whew, that's off my plate. (laughs) Check the box for my weekly content, right? But what you really want to be thinking about is what are the coming attractions? What should your audience be expecting next? So one example that I use is, I'm a huge fan of TV, duh. I feel like I probably said that 17,000 times. (laughs) I hate when I'm watching an episode of a show and then there's no trailer for the next episode. Like I get really upset. I'm like, where? I'm like, and I'm like frantically searching online for it because I want to know like coming next week, right? Oh, I live for those. I need to know what's next for sure. Of course. Well, that's exactly how people feel about your content, (laughs) right? Like, Like what is coming next week? Like, hello. Hello, Amy. What what can I expect? And also, you can create that feeling if you do this. So if people aren't feeling obsessed with your content yet, this is a way to psychologically create it for them. Because if you're giving coming attractions for like your next piece, then it has that same feeling. They're they're connecting it to what they see on TV when it's like next week on The Bachelor, right? Like they're going to feel the same way about your content. So like I mentioned before with how we have certain content that has a definitive end and then some things that have no definitive end, right? You can still create like that feeling. If it has like an open-ended kind of ending where you're saying like, well, I failed. I pitched my script a hundred places. Here's how I dealt with it. 
but the journey's still happening. The script hasn't been sold, right? So stay tuned and watch me fail some more. So I would use that as like the ending because it's a coming attraction for people to still come along that journey with me. I'm going to keep failing y'all and you're all going to come with me, (laughs) right? And watch this journey go. And also there's something baked in there where people are going to root for me because they're seeing me fail over and over and over again. And then they're like, I can't wait till she gets her success, right? I can't wait until she gets her yes. Now, another thing you could do is you can also tease your next piece of content. I know you actually did this, Amy, in your podcast episode on mega batching. I forget what you teased for the next episode off the top of my head, but you did have it there in the end. You said, I'm, I'm going to be talking about this topic more. So it was just kind of like slipped in there. You didn't make a big deal out of it, but it was enough that it teased people to know that you're going to be talking about this more. And I know you you left that mega batching episode open-ended because one thing you said is you're still trying things. You're still testing this. So again, there was that piece of like, we know that we're going to be checking back in with you at some point on batching again. Like we're going to know how this is going for you. Now, another thing you can do is beyond those two things of just teasing what's coming next week or even just teasing that this journey is still continuing and that they should follow along is that they can serialize their content. So any of us can do this. So when I use the term serialized, which is a very screenwriting term, um, it's basically a television term that's referring to a television series that follows one story arc over the full run of a series or over a season. Examples are True Detective, Sharp Objects, Breaking Bad. So these are things that like there's one story that rolls out over the course of a series. Unlike episodic television, which is a closed loop like Law and Order. So like we said earlier, when you're done a Law and Order episode, it's done, the loop is closed. You can actually drop into Law and Order at any time. You don't have to like go back and watch all eight, no, probably 20 seasons right. of Law and Order to know what's going on, right? So this is a cool little tip that anybody here can use is that if you have a particularly like sweeping story that you want to tell, so something that's like really long and in depth, I would recommend breaking it up. I would do it like a mini series. This is a mini series that you're listening to right now <laughs> with Amy. I did a mini series. I brought it up earlier in this episode where I told my entire business story. That's a long story that spans over many, many years. So I broke it up into six parts and then I added little teasers at the end so that it felt like it would be like next week on The Scandalous Truth, right? So it had that same feeling. So the point here is that when you're done writing a piece of content, recording it for a podcast, a video, whatever you're doing, don't make that it. Like, don't stop there. The point is that you want people to keep engaging. So please tease something. Give them a coming attractions for something. It can be the next piece that you're doing. Give them the coming attractions. It can be just keep following this journey as I continue to mess up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or keep following the journey until I reach my success eventually right? It doesn't have to be that that closed loop all the time. It could be like you did in your batching episode where it's like, I'm still doing this. So stay tuned for a future episode where I'll, where I'll check back in and tell you how my batching is going, right? Or you can serialize your content where you have like one big story you want to tell, break it up over three, four, five, six, seven parts, and then release it that way. Release it in increments rather than all in one piece. Oh, I love that. One of the things I've been doing a little bit more is because I've been batching, I know what is coming next for my podcast. So I'll do it at the end of this one when I wrap things up where I could say, okay, so next week, let me tell you what we're going to dive into. I'm not always that organized, so I haven't been doing it in the past, but with my batching, there's no excuse. I should know what's coming next. So I think it's really cool to even do it with your podcasting or with your video shows or whatever you might be doing. Absolutely. Yes. If you know what's coming next, especially if you're batching, it's, that's the great way to do it. Then that's all you have to do. That makes your job easy. (laughs) You can be like coming next. But for those of us that haven't quite mastered batching and I get it, 
there's other options for you. So don't feel like you have to wait to figure batching out. Good. I'm teasing. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. You can always tease no matter you know how you want to get it organized. So I'm glad you brought that up as well. Melissa, I absolutely love this approach to communicating to our audiences. I loved that you brought in your love of TV and movies because we have a lot of movie and TV buffs out there so they could completely relate to all these examples that you're giving. And I really want my listeners to take action. You guys, I want you to try this. I want you to build a story and go through the different steps of this storytelling technique. But I also know you might be on a subway right now in the car, taking your kids to school, maybe at the gym. And you're like, I'm never going to remember all of what Melissa just shared with us. The good news is Melissa created a worksheet to help you work through these five storytelling techniques, and you can grab it at amyporterfield.com forward slash 237. So amyporterfield.com forward slash 237. It's called the Binge Worthy Content Worksheet. So first of all, thank you, Melissa, for creating this worksheet so that you could save people from panicking, thinking, I'm never going to remember this. So thanks a bunch. You're welcome. I'm excited for everybody to use it. Yeah, me too. So useful. And also, before I let you go, tell my listeners how they can find out more about you. Sure. So the best way to do that is just come over to my website. It's just my name, melissacassara.com. I have a newsletter there called OMG Original Melissa Goodness, (laughs) which is like my own personal TV show, except it's in the written form because I'm a writer. And it's free to sign up, of course, as all newsletters are. And that's where I really share tons of storytelling tips and techniques to create your own binge-worthy content. So if you like the content in this podcast, then and you want more, that's where to go get it. Perfect. Thanks again, Melissa. I can't wait to have you on again. Thank you so much, Amy. Okay, so there you have it. And because I like to practice what I learn, let me tell you what's coming up. Next week, we have two episodes. One is a bonus episode, and I'm going to help you answer the question, should I have an LLC or an S-corp for my business structure? Now, this is for my U.S. audience. It's different in Canada and overseas. But if you're in the U.S., no matter if you've already set up your business or not, this episode is a must listen to. I brought on my resident attorney, Bobby Klink, to talk about what is best for your business in terms of protecting yourself, protecting your business, and protecting your taxes so you don't pay too much. It's a great episode. I've been in business almost 10 years, and I learned so much from how Bobby broke down the two different entities. So that's a bonus episode next week. And then I have Seth Godin on the show. I am such a huge fan of Seth. I'm actually very, very nervous about that interview. It's coming up soon. And Seth has a new book coming out. So we're going to talk about marketing with generosity and empathy, and I absolutely love this topic. We're going to get into details and specifics and examples, so make sure to show up and listen in as I get to interview the legendary Seth Godin. So both episodes are next week. I cannot wait to see you here. Same time, same place. And one more thing, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, whether you listen to it in iTunes and you subscribe there or wherever you listen to it. Because when I have bonus episodes, I don't always email out about them. I haven't yet decided if I'm going to email out about the LLC slash S Corp episode. So if I don't email you, you'll get a notification if you subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen. So I'm doing a lot of bonus episodes. Make sure you subscribe. Okay, guys, cannot wait to see you here next week. Bye for now.